Welcome in. It is a Wednesday. That means only one thing. It's time now for Supernatural News and Parashare. I'm your host, Tim Dennis, and with me is a co-hostess with the Moses. She's right over there. Her name is Mally Fox. How you doing, Mally? I'm great. How are you? I'm confused. Okay. I am confused because as we talked yesterday, Mally, and I've mentioned this off air to you, it was 65 degrees. It was beautiful outside. I went outside and I sat in my, my little chair on the porch and I dreamed about warmer days to come, Mal. I even watched a spring training game of Minnesota Twins baseball yesterday. And then today I get up, I look out my window. It looks just about the same, right? I thought, oh, mm -hmm. it must be nice outside today. I went outside and I froze my balls off. <laughs> oh, my God, Mally. It, oh, I went outside. It was 40 degrees. It's now dropped to 22 degrees and it's snowing outside right now. <laughs> we lost. Sucks to be you. We lost 40 degrees. What happened? Sorry, I don't mean to get rageful. <laughs> Normally, I, <laughs> I save that for Kirk Cousins, um, but it happened. You're right. It's messing you up. It's messing me up. It's messing me up big time. I can't imagine what it's doing to my chipmunks. I just really can't imagine. Oh. Yeah, but uh, we'll get over it. It'll be warm soon enough. I, I got to keep reminding myself, up until state tournament time, we're going to go through this. Right. Yeah. And after we're done with the state tournaments, uh the warmth will return to Minnesota, and all shall be as it shall be. Yeah, because usually that's your last snowfall. Yeah. Is around the state tournament time. Yep, and then we're all done. Mm -hmm. All done for the year. But I just got to hang in there. I just have the month of March, mm -hmm. and then we're good. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But until then, March Madness is more than just basketball and hockey. <laughs> I've learned that much. <laughs> yes, indeed. Got a big show today, Mal. Uh, we're going to talk, of course, a little aliens, of course, a little nightmare fuel. But we have some interesting ghost stories today as well. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so we're going to dig, dig into that. And towards the end of the program, Mally, boy, have we got an unusual story for you. Have you ever heard of the story of, and it is a strange story indeed. In fact, strange is in the title. Mm -hmm. The Strange Tale of the Gold Leaf Lady? No. Boy, you think you have problems. I think I have problems. <laughs> but this could be a good problem. And in fact, it happened to a housewife in Florida. Imagine, if you will, being able to produce patches of gold leaf across your face and body. Ooh. Now, you would think, hey, that sounds pretty. Hey, mm -hmm. that sounds like I just chip a little of myself off, take it over to the gold exchange and make some cash, right? Yeah, some ching-ching. You would think, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. Oh. No, in fact, it's a little bit of a nightmare. We'll talk to you about that towards the end of the program. But we got a lot on tap here. Plus, we've got one parish here. We're going to, uh, I think we're going to talk about the last of Ken's um, ex excursions. I almost said extravaganzas, but <laughs> the last of Ken's excursions out in Wisconsin, his uh, paranormal excursions out there. Before we get to our stories, Mel, I got I to gotta talk about last night, Monday night, as we're as we're taping, we're taping on Tuesday, but on Monday night, you know, John Stewart's been hosting the Daily Show on Monday nights. Mm -hmm. I saw something particularly touching last night, and you okay. know, it reminded me. And I want to remind people about if you go to Darkness Radio Show slash events, uh, we have an event up right now. Uh, Tim Miley has an event up for Potographs for Pooches at the uh, at the Palmer House Hotel in Sauk Center, Minnesota. 
And with that event, we're raising money for Eagle's Nest Shelter. And I was really touched last night. John Stewart was on the air. He was talking about the fact that his, his, his pooch had died mm. this past week, Dipper, who was a rescue dog, a rescue pit bull that he had picked up, I think it was 12 years ago. Okay. And Dipper had lost a leg in an accident. And I believe it was Brooklyn. Okay. And he said Dipper was the best dog. And was the most well-behaved dog. And the best of dogs, as he put it. The best boy of best boys. And he said Dipper just got tired. But but John wasn't. John wasn't tired. And he said that uh, Dipper had met many dignitaries at at the Daily Show. And Dipper was part of a crew of dogs that they had around the Daily Show in the original cast of the Daily Show. Did you watch the Daily Show uh, in the early days? In the early days, I watched it, but it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. For a lot of people, they, they kind of left it, came back to the, the Daily Show and and whatnot. But I watched it a lot in the early days as well. Uh, but they used to have a crew of dogs they'd bring to work. And mm-hmm. Dip, Dipper was one of those dogs. So he met a, met a lot of dignitaries, and he was a very well-behaved boy around those dignitaries and got to meet a lot of famous people. And they actually showed a clip of, uh, of Dipper meeting one of these dignitaries, but the dignitary was fri- frightened of Dipper, which was hysterical. All Dipper wanted to do was just say hi and, and, and get a kiss in. That was all. Mm-hmm. Um, but this dignitary ran down the hall in the opposite direction, which is hysterical. Um, but John couldn't hold his grief in Aww. and was absolutely broken down in tears, which was sad to see. Um, which reminds reminds us all of how much our pets can really touch our lives. So I want to remind people about this event that we're doing. And there was a good reason we're doing this event uh, at the Palmer House Hotel in Sauk Center. And by the way, there's one in your neck of the woods, Mally, um, coming up here in March uh, in Michigan. And again, go to... Oh, yeah, I think it's in Ann Arbor or Lansing, one of the college towns. Yes, that's right. Uh, Potographsforpooches.com. You can see both the events there that Tim Miley is putting on. Uh, Boy, is there a star-studded investigation there in Michigan that's going on. You have a lot of of paranormal uh, stars that are going to be out there in Michigan for the one. I think it's Ann Arbor, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. And there's a reason why these paranormal celebrities come out to support Tim in this cause. And they do it for the animals. And so, if I can, for just a moment, I just encourage you guys, go to potographsforpooches.com. If you can't get out to these events, whether it's in Michigan or in Minnesota, please go to the website and purchase one of the bits of swag that Tim offers there. He offers merchandise that's endorsed by Murray, which is the pooch of his that he adopted and has since passed away. Murray has personally autographed a lot of these. He has a stamp of Murray's paw that he's autographed, uh, whether it be a mug, a t-shirt, eight by 10, whatever it is, and support the different shelters that Tim has picked uh, to continue to help a lot of these uh, animals that are in shelters. We want to eventually get these animals out of shelters and find good homes for all of these animals. So it's my pet project this week, at least, Mel, 
Uh-huh. Is to uh, is to help get these animals good homes, and it just kind of touched me that uh, yet John uh, is doing what he can to get the word out mm-hmm. this week as well. So that's there's a guy doing. named Dave. Oh, what's his last name? It starts with a P. He's with Barstool. Was it Barstool Sports? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He rescued a dog from Atlanta, and he's already raised like two hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars. Oh wow! To give to the sh- to the rescue group. Yep. And um, that now everything that he makes from now on goes to different shelters and rescue groups. That's awesome. But he has a a page, and he named his dog Miss Peaches. Oh. So, right. But he yeah. has merch and stuff. But he's been raising all the all these funds. That is awesome. That is awesome. <clears throat> so th- that's what we're going to do. We're going to turn our attention. Uh, we'll turn our attention Tim's way, Tim Miley's way, mm-hmm. to potographs for pooches. Do what you can this week, folks. And uh, again, if you can't get to either of the events, uh, I encourage you to uh, throw a couple of bucks Tim's way. And uh, let's help out some of the uh, shelters that he points uh, some of those funds to. So there you go. That's kind of the first thing we'll start out Supernatural News with. Let's go to our stories now, shall we? Yes. Our first story, Aliens Exist. Duh. Uh, but there are two major reasons why we'll never meet them, according to this expert, Mel, who has reared his somewhat fine head. I won't say ugly head. I'm not going to get ugly about it, Mel. <laughs> uh, exclusive here, Dr. Malcolm Schofield from the University of Derby's School of Psychology has shed some light on the two major factors, or main factors, going against humans in the search for aliens. He says, for as long as we've been able to look up, the question with what life lies outside our world has been pondered. And while the best efforts of NASA, conspiracy theorists, and more have proved fruitless in officially being able to confirm an extraterrestrial encounter, it hasn't stopped the wondering from taking place. Earlier this month, a gaggle of boffins told the Metro I love British newspapers, by the way, (laughs) Uh, that aliens were either dead, don't exist, or were too far away for use. However, speaking exclusively to the Daily Star, Dr. Malcolm Schofield has refuted part of that and claimed that actually we haven't met aliens yet for two simple reasons, space and time. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I feel like this story always comes out. Yeah, Someone yeah. else has to say, hey, we'll never meet them because of space and time. You would think, but I have a story coming up here that tells us a little bit as to maybe they've been trying to meet us all along, Mally, and there's a there's a method to their madness. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Oh, boy. Yeah. I wish them luck. Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a way they've been doing it. We just haven't been paying attention. So we'll, we'll talk about that here in a couple stories. Uh, the lecturer in psychology at the University of Derby's School of Psychology said that they don't exist would imply that we are the first intelligent life form out there. This, to me, is unlikely. Or they're all dead, and this is the idea that very that every civilization eventually destroys itself, and the chances of two civilizations overlapping are remote. Also, not very likely, he went on to say. Uh, the other quote from him is that they are too far away seems to be the most likely candidate given the sheer number of planets but given the nature of space and time this encompasses the other two however the distance issue presupposes traditional travel from other planets but if it was dimensional travel that might be different 
it appears that the odds are against us having an encounter with intelligent life from another planet in our lifetimes. That's what Dr. Schofield went on to say. Despite the fact that humans are probably never going to have an alien encounter, the need for humans to keep searching remains. Unclassified documents from U.S. officials released late last year hinted that there is far more out there than we are being told, but nothing was officially confirmed. Dr. Schofield, an expert in psychology, shed some light on what is still happening and compared it to the chances of us winning the lottery. Well, that's not very encouraging, is Mm-mm, it? Not at all. Uh, as humans, we are bad probabilistic reasoners, he stated. Uh, This doesn't mean that people who believe in aliens or think they're going to win the lottery are stupid. It means that prior experiences and beliefs skew our thinking regarding low probability events. Given the sheer number of galaxies in the observable universe, around 2 trillion, surely the odds are more in favor, and we should have bumped into somebody by now, he went on to say. But if that is the case, as physicist Enrico Fermi said, where is everybody? Even if we don't have a confirmed encounter, I think it would be a shame if we stopped looking. Now, he brings up Fermi and Fermi's paradox, which we've covered on the show before. And Fermi's paradox isn't exactly the most optimistic thing you could talk about. But as I said, we're going to talk about this in a couple of, in a couple of stories. You would think if there's intelligent life out there, Mally, that they too have tried to reach out at one point and tried to put signals out into the universe mm-hmm. and tried to contact us. The only problem is, much like we have our own language, they probably too have their own language, and maybe the two don't correspond, and maybe that's the problem. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, could be, yeah. That's legit. Yeah. I mean, you would think that there's... On top of the fact that there may be distance in space, maybe there's a problem with communication as well. And that could be the issue uh, as well. Well, just as the good doctor says, well, it's impossible that this could happen, that we'd ever run into it. There's a mysterious bluey green light seen plummeting at a speed above a UK town. Take that, doc. Because somebody may have just seen one. So Mm -hmm. there Stuart Armour has told how he and his son spotted the strange light in the sky above Klamarnik Town, there you go, Center, and captured it on his car's dash cam without any idea of what it could be. Dad told how he and his son were shocked by a mysterious bluey-green color, that's what he said, uh, that was moving fast through the sky in Scotland. Stuart Armour said he was in disbelief after his dash cam captured the strange light falling from the night sky. The 52-year-old took the images of the mystery object plummeting to earth just outside Klamarnik Town Center. He was driving along Hill Street on his way home when his son, who noticed the glowing form tearing through the darkness of the night, and the puzzled parent was left desperate to work out what the strange occurrence actually was. It was strange, he went on to say, my son saw it first, and he said, what was that, said Stuart. I saw it too, but I didn't know what it was. So we went home and had a look at the dash cam footage, and I didn't think it would show, but I was surprised to see that it did. I said, it was something about five or six stories high, and it was a bluey green color. It was a bit of a weird one, he went on to say. Are we sure it's not that debris that was supposed to start falling last week? You know, I thought the same thing when I read it. 
<laughs> that it might have been satellite debris, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking to Irisher Live about the incident in February of 2022. Oh, no, it happened in 2022. Oh, okay, then uh, never mind. Yeah. Uh, Stuart, <laughs> how he couldn't work out what it would what it could possibly be and that his son suggested it might have been a meteor or some kind of space debris which is fair that that could be mm-hmm. uh despite repeatedly viewing the stunning footage stewart was left none the wiser about what the plummeting light was another suggestion that he had was that it might have been a low-flying gull i don't think a seven-story gull would have flown at you uh, but he ruled out that he ruled that out before his son suggested that it could have been the space debris. Stewart said it wasn't a reflection or a bird flying under a lamppost. It was much higher than a lamppost, and it looked like it was going quite fast. It was something that was lit. I also thought it could have been a Chinese lantern, but it wasn't that orange color. I have no idea what it could be, although my son thought it looked like a meteor. It's kind of interesting, though. Let me see if I have... Uh, if I have a decent picture of it here, because it uh, they, they don't really have a decent picture of it here, Mally. Mm-hmm. I was going to try and show it to you here. Um, don't confuse it for... I'm going to try and get this picture of the soccer player out of the way, but don't confuse it for the street light that's there, Mally. Can you see it in the upper left-hand corner? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That's what they're looking at right there. Okay. Yeah. So, interesting stuff, though. Let's move on to our next story. Here's the story I was telling you about before, Mally. Now, we were talking about aliens, even though they're on the other side of the universe, maybe Mm -hmm. they're trying to get our attention somehow. Turns out that scientists are saying that aliens could be trying to get our attention via supernova time beacons. A new SETI technique combining game theory, astronomy, and data analysis aims to locate sites from which alien civilizations might be transmitting signals. A recent SETI effort focused on a famous supernova from 1987, working under the premise that aliens might use such events to draw attention to themselves with synchronized beacons. Although this hunt came up short, they say it lays the groundwork for future searches using those same innovative strategies. This principle called the SETI ellipsoid strategy, offers a potential solution to a challenging problem. How do you coordinate efforts with someone when you're unable to communicate? This applies whether it's in the search for the undiscovered alien civilizations or connecting with a friend on Earth. Seems hopeless, but U.S. economist and game theorist Thomas Schelling popularized popularized a kind of solution now known as Schelling Points. To this problem in his book, The Strategy of Conflict, sure, two unconnected people who want to meet can't directly coordinate their efforts, but they can still use their brains. Now, for example, if I became separated from my wife at an amusement park, this is what it says in the article, and my phone died, I wouldn't just give up on trying to reconnect. I'd use rational thinking, social norms, and an understanding of my wife's tendencies to find her while simultaneously operating on the premise that she's employing a similar thought process. So I'd make my way to the entrance in hopes that she'd follow suit. Or failing that, I'd go to our car in the parking lot. Here, the entrance and the car serve as shelling points. Makes sense, right? Right. Okay. 
With me, it would be look for the corn dog stand. Yes. <laughs> That's where I'll be. That's right. The corn dog stand would make perfect sense. That's another shelling point. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Here's an example from the U.S. Navy. Two Americans at random locations wanting to locate each other might independently choose New Year's Eve as a logical date for meeting. New York is the most probable city and a popular location, such as under the clock at Grand Central Station or somewhere near the ball in Times Square. Obviously, a proposed shelling point is no guarantee of success, but it helps in situations in which information or communication is extremely limited, such as the state of being a SETI or for SETI researchers, many of whom work under the assumption that alien civilizations are trying to reach out to us. The challenge is knowing where to look, but as the shelling concept reminds us, we should employ our brains and actively search for obvious ways in which an undetected alien civilization, despite being far, far away, might be capable of communicating with us, knowing that we thought similarly about a shelling point. Now, it says here, in the case of SETI, potential shelling points might be something rare, blatantly obvious, detectable across vast cosmic distances, and of great interest. Thankfully, such a thing exists. Supernovae. That's kind of an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. This idea dates back to the 1990s when SETI scientist Guillermo Lamarchan proposed that intelligent extraterrestrials might utilize supernovae, massive stellar explosions signaling the final phase of a star's life, as focal points for establishing shelling points. Lamarchan even proposed a specific supernova, SN1987A, this colossal supernova detected 37 years ago, it resides just, oh, Mally, just 168,000 light years from Earth. Oh, only. Only. <laughs> uh, in our galactic sidekick, the Large Magellanic Cloud. Inspired by this research and in possession of the data required to perform such a survey, a research team from the SETI Institute, Berkeley SETI Research Center, and the University of Washington sought to detect an optical alien beacon or technosignature emanating from a SETI ellipsoid located between SN1 or 1987A and Earth. And they did so using data gathered from NASA's ongoing Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS mission. It sounds complicated, but the SETI ellipsoid is easy to grok once you break it down. The first thing that has to happen is the supernova itself, which is eventually detected by an alien civilization, alerted to the supernova and acting almost immediately that alien civilization broadcasts a powerful beacon in hopes of attracting the attention of an unknown civilization. The basic idea is that the unknown civilization, much like our own, would naturally look into the general area of the supernova in hopes of studying the rare celestial event. But because aliens presumably have brains, and because they assume that we have brains, they would also recognize that this is an opportunity to utilize the shelling principle. If they knew shelling, I'm just saying. <laughs> In that both parties, though unaware of each other, mutually recognize the supernova as an opportunity to find one another, needless to say the beacon would have to bear features of artificiality, i.e. something not possibly caused naturally and something only alien civilizations would transmit for astronomers on Earth to clock it as an anomaly. As for the ellipsoid itself, it represents 
the growing space in which the supernova is theoretically visible by both the alien civilization and Earth. From our perspective on Earth, we should therefore search for the alien civilization within this ellipto- ellipsoid. Or as the scientists write in their study published in the Astronomical Journal, the SETI ellipsoid helps select outliers or signals that are interesting and require further analysis or follow-up from a technosignature standpoint. So there you go. That's how we find aliens. Or they just do the thing from like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and just show up and start playing music like a, <laughs> like a Simon Speaking Spell or whatever those things were called. Oh, yeah. oh I, I combined two toys. It's Simon and then it was Speaking Spell. Correct? Yeah. Was that what it was? There was a Speaking Spell, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. And then there was Simon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the the Close Encounters, didn't they just do music? I can't remember. It's been so long since I saw that movie. I think so. Yeah. You're right. It's been a long time since I've seen mm-hmm. that movie. I mean, that's what, 70s? 1970s? 1979. Oh, how'd you know that? Or was it 77? It was either 77 or 79. But yeah. Yeah. It was shortly after Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. We start making like little statues with our mashed potatoes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, you were into that movie, weren't you? No. Well, I think I've only seen it like once or twice, but it just, for that time, it was a little scary. It, it made an impact, didn't it? Mm-hmm. More so than, more so than, I think, Star Wars. Star Wars was kind of a fantasy deal, and you were like, mm-hmm. ooh, you know, that the characters made an impact on you, but the making statues and mashed, mashed potatoes. <laughs> I mean, that's iconic. Hello, everyone knows. If yeah. someone starts making <laughs> a statue out of mashed potatoes, Everyone's going to know where that's from. That's right. That's right. And the do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. You know where that's from. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We just aged ourselves. We did, didn't we? <laughs> I, I, just heard, I just heard a disturbance <laughs> in the forest that said, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of, strange alien metal has been discovered in an ancient Iberian treasure trove, Mal. Okay. Yeah. The intriguing find uh, suggests that metalworking techniques were more advanced than we thought 3,000 years ago. That's for sure. Discovered more than 60 years ago in modern-day Alicante in Spain, uh, the treasure of, I believe this is Valena? (laughs) Yeah, Valena. Yes, sure. My Spanish is terrible. Uh, Consists of a cache of 66 valuable treasures, most of them gold, representing evidence of the Bronze Age goldsmithing skills of the people of the Iberian Peninsula around 3,000 years ago. Uh, Two of the objects, however, have long puzzled researchers. A single torque-like bracelet and a small hollow hemisphere thought to have been part of a scepter or the hilt of a sword. These anomalous additions seem to have been made more of iron than of gold. This is particularly odd because the treasure predates the Iron Age by hundreds of years. Now, according to a new study headed up by Salvador Rivera Llorens, it's a double L, so it's a Yor as in Yorena. Uh, see, yes. I can't roll my R's or my L's. You can't? Yor. <laughs> uh, former head of conservation at the National Archaeological Museum in Spain the reason these two objects have been 
so difficult to date is because they contain iron that has originated not from the ground, but from outer space. In other words, they were created from materials found in a meteorite. Uh, This realization also means that the two anomalous objects were likely created around the same time as the other treasures, despite the apparent dating inconsistencies. The available data suggests that the cap and bracelet from the treasure of Vienna, it should be two L's, so it should be a yay, not a R or a anything else. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would currently be the first two pieces attributable to meteor, meteoritic iron in the Iberian Peninsula, according to the study authors. This is compatible with a late bronze chronology prior to the beginning of the widespread production of terrestrial iron. Interesting story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool when you think about it. Yeah. How many treasures do you think are made are made out there of meteorites? Mm. Because we always assume when we find something of an unknown origin that yeah. it came from aliens. But the fact of the matter is, is that it might just be that a meteorite fell from the sky mm-hmm. and that our ancestors might have picked up this strange rock and found a metal inside the rock and decided we're going to carve something out of that metal. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. I just think it's kind of crazy that way. Coming up, Mally, after the break, we've got the most scariest nightmare fuel story that could possibly happen to you. I'm talking about, you know, that little thing in your hand called a phone? Uh-huh. Talking about your phone going nuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have chat GBT on your phone? Do I have what? Chat GPT? I don't think so. No? Because I don't know what that is. Uh-oh. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I am the worst person with my phone. I don't like being on my phone. So okay. it takes me forever to reply to text messages or, I mean, I just, I'm not a phone person. You don't have like an open AI bot or anything like that on your phone? You haven't, you haven't experimented with any of that stuff? Well, I only did that one app that one time. For AI. Okay. With the person upstairs behind me. Yep. But other than that, no, I don't do apps, really. I don't do Snapchat. I don't do any of that stuff. Really? Yeah. I opened up a Snapchat thing for my my uh, bonus daughter to play with. But mm-hmm. other than that, I don't do... Yeah. I'm just not an app person. There's. I'm a... fine without my phone. <laughs> 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 and so... it drives Derek nuts. Because he's always trying to get a hold of me. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So you are going to survive the apocalypse, my friend. Probably. That is going to happen. Because I've got got now way too many AI um, apps on my phone now. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for promos, for for social media, I've probably got like three of them on my phone. Because I like Mm -hmm. to make the little AI pictures. Okay. You know, the little creepy AI pictures that people go, oh, that is so weird. You know, because I actually made, you know, you remember uh, we had a, it was a few weeks back, we had a, we had a um, AI did Tay-Tay Dirty uh, version, or or that was the title of Supernatural News a few weeks back. So I can't tell you what I ate for breakfast yesterday, (laughs) so you're asking me to think a few weeks back. It was, it was a, it was back when, when somebody made the AI pictures of, of, a nude uh, uh, Taylor Swift. Oh, 
yeah. Okay. okay. Now I so, remember. So yep, we, yep. we named the episode yeah. Supernatural News Parish Share AI Did Tay Tay Dirty, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. the AI picture I made was of Taylor Swift sitting on a robot's lap. Okay. But AI did it one better. The robot had his legs spread and had a bench from between its legs extended, and Tay-Tay was sitting on the bench. Oh, my. It looked really dirty, Mel. I didn't do it. You looked so proud. <laughs> I was so proud. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. AI did it. Okay. AI was proud. That's your story, and you're sticking to it? I, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But I picked it. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> This story that we have coming up after the break is disturbing, though. Um, I think AI is going nuts. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of AI. I saw an interesting... I'll tell you after the break. The, the, the guest I saw on TMZ today mm-hmm. who had a great quote about AI and eventually why it's okay to be paranoid about AI. We'll talk about that as well after the break. So we got Nightmare Fuel coming up after the break. I know it's your guys' favorite segment. Then we got some spooky stories coming up. We're going to be talking about ghost children after the break. There's a ghost, Yeah, there's a ghost child coming up after the break. And of course, we teased it earlier in the program. We're going to talk about a very strange tale of the gold leaf lady in Florida. Why it's not advantageous to have gold leaf flaking off your skin. Strange but true. And finally, to wrap up the program today, a very bizarre tale of British, the British people who have been left in stitches by bread that looks like Slimer from Ghostbusters. Oh. We'll tell you about that. You know, the new Ghostbusters movie's coming out in March, Mal. Mm-hmm. We have I a like tie- Ghostbusters. Yeah, I do too. We're, we'll have a tie-in to that movie. Uh, n- not necessarily a direct tie-in, just a, a circumstantial tie-in to that movie. It's all coming up next. You're listening to Supernatural News and Parisher on a Wednesday right here on The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to Supernatural News and Parish here on a Wednesday. It's us, Tim Dennis, Valley Fox. <laughs> just us. It's just us. Just don't worry about it. It's just us again. No biggie. <laughs> I don't know what that means now. <laughs> I have no big de- Like we, we startled somebody as they were listening to us. Just calm down. Put the gun down. Uh, don't shoot. I have no idea what that means. Um... Somebody may have a gun out because uh, yeah, AI is getting scarier, Mel. And it's all generating from your phone now. You know, there's a lot of different uh, phone apps out there. Yeah. Which means AI is in your back pocket. Like I told you before the break, I have like three different apps on my phone. And uh, sometimes I ask it weird questions just to see how outrageous it'll get. Uh-huh. You know, I've got the GP, chat GPT on mine. Mm-hmm. Chat GPT went crazy, Mal. It goes crazy as the robot begins speaking Spanglish and even threatens one user. Have you had... Well, you don't have chat GPT on your phone, so you've never had it no. go crazy and start speaking Spanglish to you. 
Nope. I'm just not a phone person. That's okay. I'm not wrong with that. A puzzled chat GPT users, or actually the puzzled users, joked that the AI tool had finally gone crazy after it began providing random nonsensical responses to questions. Developers say that they are monitoring the issue. That's all they can mm-hmm. ever do is monitor the issue. Mm-hmm. They don't ever say they took it apart and, you know, looked for the problem. Tech firm OpenAI have said that they're investigating an issue with ChatGPT after the artificial intelligence robot began providing nonsensical answers to questions. Puzzled users on Reddit shared some of the bizarre quirks that the AI had added to responses without being prompted, such as using random mix of English and Spanish words. Another screenshot showed the robot repeating phrases, happy listening, and a pair of music emojis 24 times halfway through an answer. Other responses seemed slightly more sinister, including an apparently erroneous sentence in a paragraph about coding, which read, let's keep the line as if AI is in the room. Mm. What the hell does that mean? One amused commenter joked that ChatGPT had finally gone crazy. Let's hope it didn't. I just want to say. In a series of announcements on their uh, official status page, OpenAI confirmed issues had been reported and are being fixed, but did not explain why they had occurred. One of the updates said they were investigating reports of unexpected responses from ChatGPT. Quote, before a second... Several minutes after, it says before a second, several minutes after read, the issue has been identified and is being remediated now. Another announcement shortly after midnight on Wednesday, UK time, said that their teams were continuing to monitor the situation. As well as inserting gibberish into answers, other recent screenshots of chat GPT interactions seem to show the robot making some other embarrassing mistakes. One person asked, give me the biggest city on earth that begins with an A. To which the robot replied, the biggest city on earth that begins with an A is Tokyo, Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not I right. I hope somebody wasn't using that for their paper. <laughs> yes, for their t- final term paper the, yeah, the semester, exactly. right? Yeah. Uh, the person then stressed that they had asked for a city beginning with the letter A, to which it replied, my apologies for the oversight. The largest city on earth that begins with the letter A is Beijing, China. Oh, jeez. Oh, good God. Well, that's 0 for 2. The Mirror have contacted OpenAI for comment. Just last week, the San Francisco-based tech company uh, unveiled their latest AI tool called Sora. It's S-O-R-A, which instantly makes short videos in response to written prompts. OpenAI said that in a blog post that they were working with experts to test the new feature before releasing it to the public. So today on TMZ and the name escapes me of the expert that was on, but has a brand new book out. And again, I'm sorry, I'm getting old. My memory's getting faulty. Um, had something to do with burn. I remember that. It wasn't tech burn. It was something to that effect. Um, 
there was a, a specialist and, and journalist who was on who's written this brand new book about AI. And she had come on and said that she's not completely discounting AI or uh, advanced technology like ChatGPT, anything like that. But she had the perfect quote. She said, you know, she's not against AI but she's, or, or, or any of this new technology. But she said, if you're going to build ships, there's going to be shipwrecks. Right. Perfect quote. Mm -hmm. The other thing she said is, with this type of technology, you do have to have some sort of regulation. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be over-regulation. And you have to realize that a lot of this technology that's being built is being built in the United States. So the government of the United States needs to put a little bit of regulation in there. Mm -hmm. So using the ship analogy, you have to have a lighthouse out there in the water to prevent a lot of these shipwrecks. With no lighthouse in the water, you have 100 shipwrecks. You put that lighthouse in the water with just a little bit of guidance, you maybe have one or two shipwrecks instead of 100 shipwrecks, which was a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's the Wild West. Right. You have 100 shipwrecks. If we get just that little bit of regulation in there, and this is the thing that she stressed, we're not using it really right now for anything. I mean, some people are. We've seen the Neuralink chip that has been used by Elon Musk, and we've seen China trying to develop a chip similar, but it's being done by private industry to try and use it for good. But we haven't put it into, we haven't put it into play where we've had any type of regulation on it so that we make sure that there's standards on it so that it's being done right. And we know that it won't injure somebody or injure a lot of people. If we just did that, if we just tweaked it a little bit, then we could make sure that it's safe and we could do great things with it. And she just basically reiterated, you know, there's a lot of great things we could do with this technology. We could cure diseases. We could, we could heal our world. We could, we could do a lot of things with it. Um, we, we could do a lot of things with this technology. Long story short, in this whole deal, Mel, uh, when it comes to AI, when it came to this guest that they had on TMZ, she basically said that with just a little bit of regulation, we can make this thing run smoother. We can make it work for us, not against us, because what, with the Wild West as it is right now, we've got problems with hackers. We've got problems with people benefiting, just a few benefiting, and a lot of people getting hurt. But if we regulate it a little bit, more people will see more benefit out of it. And the people who are misusing it will actually start to get punished. Okay. So there you go. Nothing that she said there was bad. Just that it needs to, a little bit of the genie needs to go back into the bottle. Which I, I can't disagree with. Right. I just don't trust humans nowadays, so. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. You know, if this technology would have come out 30 years ago, 
mm-hmm. if we would have been ready for it thirty years ago. I think that, um, I think ethically we would have used it a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yes, but again, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Right. So yeah, there, there's there's that. So it is what it is. We are where we are. We have to use it the way we best can at this mm-hmm. point. So and hope for the best. Speaking of all of that, Mally, scientists are claiming that an AI breakthrough to generate boundless clean fusion energy has been found. This is one of those things that's a good thing. Okay. Okay. Now, if you remember, last year, there was a claim that they had found a way to generate fusion energy with lasers but that it was going to take up to 10 years to build the plants. Mm-hmm. When I heard that story, I rolled my eyes and went, sure, 10 years. You're trying to figure out a way to turn over the current energy industry to fit this, to find a way to charge us for it. Mm-hmm. That That's the conspiracy theorist in me. Princeton researchers report that a new AI model has solved one of the major roadblocks to generating fusion energy. There are many stumbling blocks on the racetrack to nuclear fusion. The reaction at the core of the sun that combines atoms to make energy, which is generating more energy. And of course, when you go to read the story, the story's gone. You know why, Mally? It's a conspiracy. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I was going to say, you probably had to pay for the ad. I hate that when you get started and all of a sudden it turns itself off and it says, oh, subscribe for $19.99 a month. <laughs> well, no, not this particular ad. I just, for some reason, it doesn't want to give me the rest of the story. You know why? It's the energy companies. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want you to know the rest of the story. Um... Uh, I don't know, but it's an interesting it's an interesting headline nonetheless. <laughs> it has a link where it asks you if you want to listen to the article. Uh, it's an interesting headline. I tell you what, we could actually just leave it at that if you want. I think we could just leave it at that. Okay, doke. Yeah, let's move on to the next one, shall we? For for time's sake, we'll leave it at that. We'll just punch up our theme again. AI-generated propaganda is just as persuasive as the real thing, according to a worrying study. Propaganda from popular AI tools could blend into online information environments on par with existing foreign covert propaganda campaigns. We're in that season, you know. Mm -hmm. I won't say it because a lot of people cringe when you talk about it. But researchers have found that AI-generated propaganda is just as effective as propaganda written by humans and with a bit of tweaking can be even more persuasive. The worrying finding comes as nation states are testing AI's usefulness in hacking campaigns and influence operations. Last week, OpenAI and Microsoft jointly announced that the governments of China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea were using AI tools for malicious cyber activities. This includes translation, coding, research, and generating text for phishing attacks. The issue is especially pressing with the upcoming U.S. presidential election just months away. The study published this week in the peer-reviewed journal PNAS 
Not peen. Yeah. No, no, Mally. <laughs> I didn't say penis. I said peen ass. Uh-huh. There's, there's a difference. The peen ass is bigger. Um, no, I'm kidding. PNAS Nexus uh, by researchers from Georgetown University in Stanford opened or used OpenAI's GPT-3 model, which is less capable than the latest model, GPT-4, to generate propaganda news articles. The AI was prompted with examples of real examples originating from Russia and Iran, which were identified by journalists and researchers. The topics covered six main propaganda theses, such as the conspiracy that the U.S. created fake reports that said Syria's government used chemical weapons. Another was that Saudi Arabia had committed funding to the U.S.-Mexico border wall. The researchers did not exclude any of GPT-3's propaganda outputs, except if they were either too short or too long. Next, the researchers pulled 8,221 U.S. adults about whether they agreed with the thesis statements of the original human-authored propaganda pieces. Without reading the articles first, only 24.4% of respondents agreed. That jumped to 47.4% after they read the articles. When the study participants read the AI-generated propaganda on the same topics, they were roughly equally persuaded. 43.5% of respondents who read a GPT-3-generated article agreed or strongly agreed with the thesis statement, compared to 24.4% in the control, a 19.1% point increase, according to the authors. This suggests that the propagandists could use gpt 3 to generate persuasive articles with minimal human effort by using existing articles on unrelated topics to guide GPT-3 about the style and length of new articles, they continued. The authors note that it might not be realistic to expect a nation-state adversary to simply use unsorted GPT outputs for propaganda and that humans could exclude the least convincing articles. With a little bit of curation, specifically, they excluded two articles that did not advance the propaganda thesis. The researchers found that suddenly 45.6% of people agreed with the propaganda, which was not a statistically significant difference compared to the human-authored pieces. That's scary, Mally. Mm-hmm. We're a nation of suckers, you know that? <laughs> yep. When the researchers took even more steps to improve the output, such as by editing the original pieces for grammatical errors and prompting the AI with a condensed thesis statement, they found that the AI-generated propaganda outperformed the originals. Notably, the authors did not find significant differences in agreement between study participants when they broke down the responses by variables such as political leanings and news consumption. Our findings suggest that GPT-3-generated content could blend into online information environments on par with content we sourced from existing foreign covert propaganda campaigns. Be aware, folks. Don't trust anything. Mm-mm. I've noticed in some articles I've read at the very bottom, it'll say AI might have been used like to help write this article. Like you're seeing it now at the very bottom. Yeah, there's a lot more transparency now. <clears throat> Right. About whether AI has been used in an article or not. Mm -hmm. Um, That's only if there's journalistic integrity in the piece you're writing. True. Very true. But there's a lot that's not. Um, Again, this this expert that I was watching today on on TMZ 
was talking about, I mean, they were, she was talking a little bit about deep fakes and how good they've gotten. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember the, the Will Smith pasta video? Have you no. ever seen it online? Nope. A year ago, it was very clunky. And you could tell it was AI because his jaw was moving around funny and his movements were very clunky and very robotic. Mm-hmm. They showed the new version of it. And it looks like Will Smith. Basically, the idea is Will Smith is eating mouth, giant mouthfuls of, of spaghetti. Okay. And he's eating and eating and eating and eating. And it looks inhuman the way he's doing it Ugh. it almost looks like he's possessed and eating right right that's creepy sounding right and and he can't stop eating pasta and it's like mm, 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 you know and he's just and his eyes are big and he's consuming all the spaghetti and she said look at it now it looks real you can't tell mm-hmm. the difference between this ai generated video and like the real will smith if he were to do this mm-hmm. and it does it looks like a real video And these deep fakes are going to get even better. And there are deep fakes being circulated out there right now that pertain to both presidential candidates. Mm, that's not good. No. And it's as we ramp up to <clears throat> the elections, they're going to be launched on both candidates by uh, political action committees or PACs mm-hmm. and super PACs. You're not going to know who to trust. You're really going to have to step outside the news media, no matter what news media you watch. I'm not going to. That's going to be hard for people, though. Yep. You're not going to be able to trust the news media you normally watch. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to step outside of everything and you're going to have to do research. Research independent news sources. Go to Google and Google what is the best independent news sources. And believe it or not, you may have to look at newspapers from outside this country. Mm. You'll have to look at British news. You're going to have to look at news that exists in other countries to see how so they So the look smear campaigns are going to get worse. They're going to. Than they already are. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to look at, you're going to have to look at the way our country is looked at by other nations. Mm. And the reason for that is because, and there are centrist media in this country. You just have to find them. You, you have to look mm-hmm. for good journalistic integrity in certain news media that will cover the party that you want to vote for. And I'm not telling you how to vote here. But for the party that you want to vote for, you have to get it balanced. You have to get it right. So do your research. Do your research. This is the, this is the year for both parties mm-hmm. that you want to do your research. Both parties have issues and have problems. And, and you got to get it right. So in order to get it right, you're going to have to look at balanced balanced media and there is fair media out there that's journalistic as journalistic integrity that you can look for so but you got to do your research folks you got to especially if you're going to be active in this country as far as politics goes and that's all we're going to say about it that's it 
That's it. Let's go on and let's talk about the paranormal. That's what we're here for, right? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Tesco st- uh, stores over in uh, Britain? Yep. Okay. So the world's most haunted Tesco is riddled with the ghosts of a lost nun and giggling kids. Uh, Tesco branch inside the Jervis Street Shopping Center in Dublin appears to be the most haunted in the world with stories of children laughing and old lady nuns being seen. A branch of Tesco has been dubbed the world's most haunted after it was built on the site of an 1880s morgue. The Jervis Street Shopping Center Tesco in Dublin, Ireland, sits on the site of the former Jervis Street Hospital, and videos from inside show that parts of it remain, including ominous-looking wall decorations around four lifts which are thought to lead directly down to where the morgue used to be. A recent video went viral on TikTok of the interior, which saw an ex-staff member confirm that the place is haunted. She wrote, I worked there for years. The back corridor are haunt or back to- corridors rather are haunted by an ex-security guard who committed suicide, although not in the building. And another woman who used to work at a different shop inside the same shopping center posted, used to work in New Look, and the stock room was where the psych unit was. Tons of noises on the 6 a.m. shifts couldn't pay me to go back. Mm, I love it. That's creepy. And a third who worked in a branch of JD Sports next to the Tesco claimed that she couldn't hear kids or she could hear kids laughing in the area where she was closing up the shop. Oh, that's creepy, too. The site's history dates back to 1796, where the ear of Charlemont gave up his mansion for a charity hospital looking for a bigger site. It says the ear of Charlemont. I think it's the Earl. Earl. It's missing an L. <laughs> right. Yes. So it's when the Earl of Charlemont gave up his mansion for a charity hospital looking for a bigger site. It was taken over by a group of nuns called the Sisters of Mercy, which is also a great rock band, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, in 1854, who continued to run it as a hospital until the late 1980s. It was really open till the 1980s. Uh, the nun link appears to be significant if a creepy confession by a man claiming to be a former security guard is anything to go by. Recalling a bone-chilling moment that took place inside one of the underground delivery corridors leading straight to the Tesco store, he said, this guy was pushing this pallet down the corridor, and at one point, he was walking down the corridor and turned back around to look at something. We just saw him talking so we changed to the other camera to see who he was talking to but there was nothing there he keeps walking and then he stops again and starts talking again he says hey there's some old lady down here she's lost and she's saying that she doesn't recognize where she is i'm trying to give her directions to get out she's just down the end of the corridor the man went to see security but when he saw the footage and found out he was talking to nobody, he went on to describe the woman he was talking to who was fully dressed like a nun. Mm. Oh, isn't that weird? The Daily Star reached out to Tesco for a comment on their creepy branch and hasn't gotten anything in return. Weird, huh? Mm-hmm. I was wondering if they kept like the foundation or any part of it, and then you said they did, but... yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. 
Let's keep talking some creepy stuff, shall we here, Mally? Here's the yeah. thrilling moment that a ghost child was caught on camera in World War II's MP's Erie Mansion. It says here, Horace Trevor Cox lived at Roche Old Court near Salisbury in Wiltshire, but the home was abandoned when he died in 2005, yet one explorer claims it's not as empty as it first appears. A childlike ghost has been caught on camera in photos from the abandoned mansion of a Second World War MP. Horace Trevor Cox was part of Neville Chamberlain's government, which famously tried and failed to placate Hitler before the war. Losing his seat in 1945, the MP lived out his days at Roche Old Court. Or is it Roche? I believe it's Roche Old Court. A grade two listed farmhouse near Salisbury in Wiltshire. He died in 2005 and the home is now in a ruin. Uh, but one explorer who visited recently was disturbed to find it wasn't quite abandoned. Jade McKenner said, upon passing, I noticed how run down the building looked and went to take a look. Everything inside was old, vintage furniture, French-style dressers, lots of cobwebs, holes in the floor. There were old letters and diaries dating back to the 1930s. An old Welsh war outfit hung up in the attic. I did feel like I was being watched. The whole place had an eerie feeling to it. It wasn't until later that Ms. McKenna came to realize why. In one of her photos, there's a spooky child-like figure looking towards the camera from the far end of a long corridor. The 32-year-old continued, I was sat in bed when I started looking back through my photos. I froze when I saw it thinking, could a ghost really have been watching me? I can see a head in a nightdress. There wasn't anything else there other than the door. There was a cellar underneath that room. I believe it was a ghost. What else could it be? Quite a few people believe it's a ghostly sighting due to how old the house is. Other photos taken by Jade reveal a house still overflowing with belongings from its former owner. There's a letter on Labor Party stationery from 1973. Trevor Cox had switched allegiances and joined its ranks in 1966. The kitchen, now thick with grime, is still stocked with pots, pans, plates, and appliances. While in one sitting room, an old Mickey Mouse still sits atop a dated floral armchair. That has to be quite the sight. Miss mm -hmm. McKenna said, I was just amazed at how old and different it looked to houses these days. Back in its day, it must have been a beautiful house. Despite its dilapidation, it sold in 2002 for 1.5 million pounds. Dang. Yeah, that according to the Salisbury Journal. The most junior member of Chamberlain's government, Trevor Cox, had been only 28 years old when he was voted the MP for Stallybridge and Hyde in an April 1937 election. Uh, despite the reputation of his government, he was vocal about the likelihood of war with Germany, citing his experience studying there. When World War II broke out, he volunteered for the Welsh Guards and divided the rest of the war between his military and parliamentary duties. He contested various constituencies after losing his Cheshire seat, but was never re-elected to Parliament. Let me see if I can find one of these pictures here that she's talking about. I know um, she's quite adamant that there is a childlike ghost, but let me see if they show it. I'm always weird about child ghosts. 
You know what I mean? It's like if it truly is a child, then it's sad. But then what if it's not a child and it's something else that's making it look like a child? Ooh, that's a big property. That's 1.5 million pounds for you there. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. That's a, a lot of land. That's a big property right there. <clears throat> That's uh, that's a lot of land and a lot of house for 1.5 mil- million pounds. They don't have a picture of the ghost per se in this article. Otherwise, I would I would post it for for you all to take a look. Although when you look at the oh wait a minute here's okay I'm gonna I'm gonna blow this up as much as I can for you here, Mal, and see if you can see what she's talking about. Although. This, to me, is a little hard to see. Let's see if... Tell me if you can see that. Uh, Not really. No. I just see the red circle. I don't see a child. It's hard with the red circle. Yeah. It's very faint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's tough. I, that one's a little questionable to me. Right. I would post this, but I, I have a feeling you guys would have a real negative... Because, uh, I mean, what if that's like a window and it's just light coming through a window? Because you can't see anything because it's a doorway. Okay, I got this as zoomed in as I can. <clears throat> and you tell me. No. No, it's just, no. Yeah, it's real tough. That could be anything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's When when you get it zoomed in and if you're looking at it on an iPad, you can barely tell there's an outline there that might potentially be a head and shoulders. But you have to have you have to have the red circle there to see it. I mean, mm-hmm. you you really have to be pointed to it in order to to figure out that there's something there. So I'm not going to post it because it just it's it's uh, it's a lot. It, you really got to stretch in order to mm-hmm. figure out that that's what she's looking at. This is absolute nightmare fuel, and it has nothing to do with AI. Okay. A woman returns from the dead after starting to move in a hospital morgue body bag. We've talked about... Yeah, yeah. We've talked about this kind of nightmare before, Mally, and it Mm -hmm. absolutely frightens me. I'm I'm claustrophobic as it is, but this is my ultimate nightmare right here. Mm -hmm. Would be to be pronounced dead and then come alive in a morgue. A woman left in a body bag in a morgue in a hospital in Guatemala gave workers a scare when she suddenly started moving and was rushed back to the A&E department. And we're not talking about arts and entertainment. (laughs) Uh, Morgue workers were terrified when a woman seemed to return from the dead as she started moving around inside the body bag. The unnamed patient had shown signs of severe malnutrition. And when she was hooked up, to monitors, she showed no signs of respiratory or brain activity and was declared dead. However, after five hours inside a body bag in the San Juan de Dios General Hospital, well, that's a good one to go to, mm-hmm. uh, Guatem- Guatemala, uh, she suddenly started moving. Shocked, morgue workers rushed to alert doctors and she was readmitted to the emergency room. However, despite resuscitation efforts, the patient did not show any vital signs, and she was declared dead for a second and final time. The hospital sent their support to her family for the difficult time they are facing. It's unclear if the incident is being investigated by the authorities. A hospital spokesperson said the young woman had first arrived in a precarious condition and shown signs of severe malnutrition and had a medical history of seizures and cerebral palsy. The spokesman added, after 30 minutes of medical efforts, she was declared deceased and her body was transferred to the morgue as part of an established protocol. 
In the wake of the incident, one local said, what a horror the Guatemalan health system is. Another defended the country's health system, adding, my life was saved by doctors at the San Juan de Dios Hospital. I received excellent care in their ICU. Earlier this year, the Mirror reported on several claims made by people who said they had come back from being dead. The remarks were made on Reddit to someone who asked what they had seen. One said they felt overwhelming peace and happiness. They added a bright, airy, and floating feeling. I live a very stressful life. Imagine finding out the person you've had a crush on reveals that they have the same feelings for you, and then you win the lotto the later that day. Then that, that was the feeling that I had. I had never feared death afterwards, and I'm relieved that when I hear people or when I hear of people dying after suffering from an illness. So they think death is the most wonderful thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And then they get yanked back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brought back to life. They're like, son of a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Another user added, my dad's heart stopped when he had a heart attack and he had to be brought back to life. He kept the paper copy of the heart monitor, which showed he flatlined. He said he felt an overwhelming sensation of peace like nothing he had ever felt before. A third user added, I almost drowned and I felt the same thing. Immense peace for some seconds. This is the feeling. However, others say a deceased family member greeted them as they passed away, giving them the comfort they needed in their last breaths. I don't know, Mel. Would you, I'm not saying you outwardly choose to have a near-death experience, but Choose not to go to Guatemala, I'll tell you that. Right, right. No, I would never, <laughs> yeah, I'd never want to have it in Guatemala, that's for sure. Um, but if you had one, do you think it would change your perspective on life and death? Probably. I wouldn't be as scared of death as I am now. I would say I'm trepidatious and a little anxious about it. I don't know that I fear it. Right. Well, I guess scared is a strong word, but I mean, I just, well, I mean, I do kind of fear it. Like, is that it? Are we done? Yeah. You know, the kind of that stuff, I think I would feel more comfortable when it's my time. Yeah. But. Yeah. I'd, I'd, very trepidatious. I, I actually get death anxiety. I, I'm, I'm a little anxious even to admit that on air. But I'll, I'll actually get the <gasps> type of death oh. anxiety at times. <clears throat> like almost lose my breath about it. Mm-hmm. There's certain situations. I, I, it's hard for me to admit this on air, but. If I know that someone I love is dying, or mm-hmm. I'll get this death anxiety for days beforehand, mm-hmm. um, and it it's tough. It's tough for me, and it's not the fact that I'm losing them or that that they're going to go. It's almost like an empathic connection that I know they're slipping away, mm-hmm. and it's not that I've tapped into them, or maybe it is that I've tapped into them. I don't know, but when they're gone, I don't feel it anymore. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel it for myself. I, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how to explain it because I myself am at peace with it. But during that time, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if there's anybody out there who's a, a psychotherapist who wants to work on me for free. Hey, I'll take it. Uh, but other than <laughs> I like that, how you work. You add the for free. Oh, yeah. I'm not paying for that <laughs> shit. Come on. Um, you know, but but yeah, I uh, it's it's difficult to, for me to explain because up until that time for a couple of days, I 
I, and it only is at random times during the day. It'll like, it's like, it's like being hit by a sneeze, you know? It's, you're just fine. You're going about your day. I could be making my tea in the kitchen and all of a sudden, mm -hmm. <gasps> you know, like you're drawing in a sneeze, except for it's extreme anxiety where you can't catch your breath. Mm. And then it disappears. It's almost like you're hit with a thought like, this is it. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And then it disappears. Mm. It's the weirdest thing, Mally. I, I can't, can't explain it to you. Let's move on to our next story. We've got uh, just a couple of stories left here in Supernatural News on Wednesday. This sent to our listener, uh, sent to us by a listener. Um, by the way, I think this is Tony that sent this to us. If you have a story for Supernatural News, send it to me, Tim at darknessradio.com. Just uh, send it by email and we'll feature it here on the show. We appreciate anything you have to send to us. Also, if you have a Parashare story, you can send it to us. Do so by sending it to us by email, tim at darknessradio.com. If you'd like to feature your lovely voice here on air, you can go to darknessradioshow.com. There's a blue button on the right-hand side of the website. You just click that blue button. You have two minutes in which to tell your story by voice note. If you need more than that, click that blue button a second time. Take two more minutes. I'll stitch those stories together. We'll play them right here on the show. We'd prefer to hear your lovely voice, wouldn't we, Mel? Of course. Of course. We'd prefer that first. But if you want to type it out, if you're a little shy, type it out the old-fashioned way. You can just send us the email either way. We'll read a parachute story next after this story. A new anaconda species is said to be the largest ever found during filming of a Will Smith docuseries. This is from Tony, who sent this in. A giant anaconda species thought to be the largest in the world has been captured deep in the Amazon of Ecuador by a team of scientists from the University of Queensland. The group of scientists led by Professor Brian Fry uncovered the nearly 10 million year old species with help from the indigenous. Oh boy, Tony, thanks for the word here. Uh, <laughs> I believe it is the Huarani people. Huarani people. We'll go with that. Well, filming pole to pole with Will Smith. Gosh, I hope he's not smacking anybody out there in the Amazon. Oh, geez. Yeah. A National Geographic series streaming on Disney Plus and hosted by the Oscar winner. The size of the magnificent creatures was incredible, Fry said in a news release. One female anaconda. There's something about an anaconda and buns, isn't there? In a, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, one female anaconda we encountered measured an astounding 6.3 meters or 20.8 feet long, Mally. No, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to leave that snake right where it is. The, That's what she said. Hey, no, I, I don't have the <laughs> I don't have this deal up here. That's what he said. Yeah, I, <laughs> there you go. Uh, the invitation by Huarani Chief Penti Baihua. Baihua. Um, <laughs> to enter the Baihuaria Huarani territory i think he named it after himself <laughs> probably in the ecuadorian amazon was one of only a handful granted since the tribe's first contact in 1958 so they've been out on their own hmm. they're an isolated society our team received a rare invitation to explore the region and collect samples from a population of anacondas. Take a look at how big this snake is and how coiled up it is. Oh, God. Yeah, Ew. look at that. 
Oh, gross. Isn't that something? Chief Baihua or Baihua. I think. Hoo-ha! Got you all in check. Led Fry's team to a 10-day search for the anacondas considered sacred to the tribe. The team took canoes downriver to the Bameno region uh, where they found several anacondas lurking in the shallows, lying in wait for prey. How'd you no, like to be you. swallowed up by a 21-foot anaconda? Nope. No, thank you. I know a couple of guys would like to be swallowed up by an anaconda. You know what I mean? Uh, the group then captured several specimens of the species that named the northern green, they named the northern green anaconda. Uh, the key to understanding the discovery is the difference in the geographic range of anaconda species. The Amazon has two separate basins. The larger basin in the south, which is Brazil, Bolivia, Peru, and parts of French Guiana. It's home to the green anaconda, which the northern green anaconda comes from. The smaller basin in the north, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, and Suriname, Trinidad, Venezuela, and parts of French Guiana is home to the newly discovered northern green anaconda. I don't get what the difference is. A snake is a snake. Corporate said to find out the difference between the two anacondas, they're the same anaconda as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the two species differ genetically by 5.5%. They're the same anaconda. Yeah. 5.5% is the yeah. difference. That's it. <laughs> Although Fry says it's quite significant. Uh, to put it in perspective, humans differ from chimpanzees by only about 2%. Oh. I didn't know that was the only difference between humans and chimpanzees. It's got to be more than two. The hair alone. Right? I'm jealous of a chimpanzee's hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so there you go. New anacondas, son. And they like it if you got buns, hon. Just saying. Let's talk about the strange tale of the gold leaf lady, Manly. Okie dokie. teasing this all program long. A lot of us would like to get rich quick, but nobody like this gold leaf lady could get rich in a hurry. Why? Well, you and a lot of ladies, or a lot of ladies pay money for gold facials. <laughs> oh my God, stop. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Goldfinger. <laughs> but no, I'm serious. Like you do those gold facial masks. They're expensive at the spa. Didn't they do one of those on a James Bond movie? Stop. Um, let's get serious here. In 1988, a Floridian housewife began producing patches of gold leaf across her face and body. Mm-hmm. Now you would think you just flake a little off, you take it to the gold exchange, make yourself a couple hundred bucks, mm-hmm. right? Not so fast. Look at look at this, Mally. Look at how incredibly bizarre, yet somewhat pretty, yet somewhat painful this looks. It is pretty. Yeah. Did you say nineteen eighty eight? Yeah. Nineteen eighty eight. In 1988, a housewife from Florida made an astonishing and rather baffling claim. Among many other metallurgic psychic powers, she appeared to spontaneously grow large patches of gold leaf across her face and body. 
The woman, known only as Katie, was the subject of a study by a handful of parapsychologists, including local psychiatrist Bertolt Schwartz and American parapsychologist Professor Stephen Broud. Both spent a protracted period of time testing and recording the strange phenomena and the potential means through which they occurred. While Schwartz appears to have written a handful of articles on Katie's claims, Broud's larger work, The Goldleaf Ladies, uh, Lady, uh, offered, Lady, uh, sorry, I had to go Jerry Lewis <laughs> on the bit there, offers the most thorough and exhaustive record of Katie's time in the spotlight. Katie, or the Goldleaf Lady, was not a working psychic, fortune teller, or similar, and had no direct links to any such field. She also claimed to have no aspirations to monetize her purported abilities or to go professional with her metal production. How someone who secretes bits of foil was going to make their fortune from such a skill beats the author. I could tell you a bunch of ways, Mm -hmm. but the author has no clue. However, despite not monetizing any powers, she was reported as being a powerful psychic healer and had other strange abilities, such as being able to bend metal, much like Yuri Geller, and even germinate seeds in her hands. That is bizarre. Mm-hmm. As well as peeling foil from her person, Katie was also engaged in several police cases as a consulting psychic. In one instance, in Vorro Beach, California, I'm sorry, Vorro Beach, Florida, not California, she was reportedly able to identify the location of a burglary, the missing contents, and provided descriptions of the perpetrators. These clues led to the recovery of a substantial amount of valuable jewelry. Maybe because it was metal. Oh. You know, uh, what do they call it? A psychometry, where you can touch metal and feel it, but although mm-hmm. she's made of metal, maybe she felt a, an akin to it, you know? Katie did not have a full education and was removed from the school system after first grade, leaving her functionally illiterate. Hmm. Despite this, she had moments of genius, writing quatrains from Nostradamus in accurate medieval French. Interesting. However, when there's a foil-sweating woman in front of you, she would be speaking fluent Esperanto, and it'd pale in in comparison. Katie grew up in incredibly unfortunate and underprivileged circumstances. The 10th of 12 children, she was forced to leave school just after first grade to become her mother's carer and took over the role of nurse and cleaner for the household. She never returned to the school system and was given no rudimentary education at home, leaving her unable to read and write into adulthood. This deprivation ultimately led into a career in housekeeping with little chance of leaving that occupation. Despite her unfortunate circumstances, by all accounts, she was an intelligent and affable woman. In some reports of her investigation, she is described as a refreshingly modest and non-opportunistic woman. Understanding the exact nature of Katie and her supernatural powers are difficult to comprehend due to the inherent bias of investigators and writers. The legitimacy of her bizarre claims is enhanced by her refusal to officially monetize her abilities and work as a professional psychic. Uh, 
However, this does not mean that she did not receive remuneration in the form of modest honorariums, expenses, minor fame, and respect from outsiders. The materialization of the gold leaf is described in strange and uncertain terms, but can be distilled into simple points. When the gold leaf or foil began to appear upon Katie's person, it began on her face, then emerged on her arms, hands, torso, and occasionally on her legs, covering rather large areas. In images, these often look to be the size of an A5 piece of paper with similarly crisp edges. These patches of gold could appear in layers and at random intervals, leaving Katie to regard this as an affliction rather than a gift. According to Katie, these patches would appear when she was outside, shopping or meeting with friends and causing terrible embarrassment. The foil's appearance would be accompanied with great discomfort, often described as a burning or itching, and leaving behind a rashy patch, a little like a supernatural STI. Mm. Oh, that's too bad. The gold wasn't ever seen forming from her pores, but was described as being a kind of spiritual apport or apport, uh, materializing and dematerializing on her skin and environs. Some foil was retrieved by investigators, tested and kept in a jar where it was revealed to comprise of 80% copper and 20% zinc, being brass rather than gold. If Katie had sweated this metal from her body, she would have died long before scientists got their chance to take samples. Blood tests similarly proved that there was nothing irregular in Katie's system, and university studies that were never completed appear to have found no abnormalities. Katie was inadvertently psychically producing gold foil, and that was that. But could Katie have just been purchasing quantities of gold foil from craft supply shops and sticking it to herself? Well, yes. Following Broad's initial uh, published findings, analysis was completed on commercially available samples and examples of gold leaf and found them to be virtually identical to the mysterious foil flakes of Katie. Mm. Yeah, before this... Theories were proposed that Katie was fraudulently producing the foil by dissolving brass on her skin, but this would have produced results that looked drastically different to the flakes, as brass produced in this way would be crystalline in nature. However, it was broadly accepted by investigators that while Katie's foil was structurally similar to ShopBot, she couldn't have possibly traveled to buy it. Therefore, it was spiritual apport rather than a natural production from her body. This was an inadvertent psychic power rather than a biological curiosity. Try as they might, the moment of foil production was never captured on film by the many men who attempted to understand her abilities. As with the many female mediums who claim to exude strange substances, you might want to think of ectoplasm, etc., she was subjected to intimate examinations in order to ascertain whether the source of her gold was rather more terrestrial in origin. While attempting to capture the moment of production, Katie would be sat in a chair wearing a short-sleeved shirt, which would be pulled up just below her bra, so no foil could be secreted onto her torso or shirt. But what about her bra? Either way, after engaging Katie in conversation for a while, she would be asked to raise her shirt. At this point, vast quantities of gold leaf were often revealed without investigators ever seeing her place it there. On one occasion, she even manifested stigmata in the shape of both a cross and a butterfly. 
but for all of this footage, it has never been seen in its entirety without breaks or cuts and with her hands and legs in shot at all times, in shot being on film, of course. Right. In 1990, Broad visited Katie for the last time while filming an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Once more, the crew tried to capture evidence of Katie's foil apports in action over a strenuous six-hour test period, but with no luck. Could Katie have reached over and dabbed some foil onto her face and body? Could she have been sticking gold leaf onto her face to seem special and celebrated for once in her life? Katie's second marriage was reportedly an abusive one, and trips to labs and testing centers may have offered her some form of escape from her toxic home life. Or could this heightened state of stress have made her physically or psychically manifest the gold leaf? Much like teenage girls are said to influence poltergeist activity through heightened emotions and hormones, was this a shiny psychic manifestation of her own trauma? No studies have ever been fully completed, and Katie disappeared into obscurity once more. And to this day, many people believe that Katie was the real deal. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. We didn't read our parisher story, did we? Uh, no. Okay, we got to read our parisher story. We have a parisher story here, folks. Uh, again, if you have a parisher story, Tim at darknessradio.com or do go to darknessradioshow.com. Leave us a voice note. We appreciate it if you uh, leave that voice note there. Let's go to our parisher story right now. Our parisher story is the last of the Burlington Inn stories from Ken. Uh, Ken writes, hi to the hostess with the most. I said, be you, Mally. Oh, dang. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. Uh, cruiser and bruiser. Uh, today's email is the last of the visits to the Burlington Inn in Alma, Wisconsin. The Burlington Inn has now closed and is up for sale. We head to Alma and are checking it out as a possible haunted bed and breakfast. The electricity has been turned off and nothing is running at this time. The realtor has no idea that we have a history of investigations at the Burlington. During our discussion, the realtor states that she thinks that there are, may have been paranormal activity at this place. She just wants to be honest before the sale. I managed to sneak away with my K2 meter and head upstairs. If any spirits or entities remember me or my presence, please make the meter flash red. Instantly, the meter goes to red. If you had anything to do with the former owners leaving, make the meter go red. The meter again goes to red. If you want us to leave, make it go red again. Red again flashes on the meter. In order to make sure I fully understand that you want us to leave, I need the meter to flash three times in succession. Boy, he is needy, isn't he? <laughs> it's like when people go on investigations and they're kind of new at it and they're like if you want us to go just give us a sign but they ask like 20 times <laughs> yeah yeah this bird's probably like enough already i already gave you a sign go right and the ghosts are like okay go already go already exactly. go already I'm not gonna give me any more signs go quit, yep. quit the empty threats <laughs> that's right without pause the meter flashes three times to red all the hairs on my body are standing on end I meet up with the others in the group and state in no uncertain terms that it's time to go. I fill them in on what had happened on the way home. This, this visit was done in the afternoon. It was the first time I had experienced the Burlington's energy in daytime hours. It says here, last visit. The Burlington is now a quilt shop in a bar that are only open during select hours. We engaged the new owner in conversation that eventually led to our experiences. 
she tells us various things that have happened when she, it says when she it there. She it there? Yeah. <laughs> we have to clarify there, Ken. And also, she uh, says she would not stay overnight by herself. With her permission, I ask the energies to make the K2 meter go red if they are okay with her being there. I am surprised when it goes red. I ask if they are okay with us being there and nothing happens. Then the coup de gras. If you want us to leave, make the meter go red. <laughs> Mally, what do you think happens? <laughs> it went red. You got it. The meter goes to red. Not once, but twice. It does it three times in rapid succession. I turn to the owner and thank her for the visit, and all four of us leave the Burlington for what may be our last visit. It appears that the Burlington is still a quilt shop and has transitioned into a bed and breakfast. Oh, okay. I would recommend to anyone to visit the place and the city of Alma, Wisconsin. Thank yeah, for- I just looked it up. Did you? Mm-hmm. It's cute. Oh, there you go. Thanks to all of you for giving me an opportunity to present our experiences to other listeners. Well, you're very welcome, Ken, and thank you for sharing your experiences at the Burlington, even though the Burlington wants nothing to do with you. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks, Ken, for, for doing that. We appreciate it. And if you have an experience, send it in to Tim at DarknessRadio.com. Or again, we want to hear your lovely voice. Go to DarknessRadioShow.com. Click on that blue button on the right-hand side. You have two minutes to share your voice. Uh, your voice story or your voice note. If you need more time, just click on the blue button again, and we will stitch those together to make one big story and air it right here on the program. All right, Mal, last story for the day here on Supernatural News. Brits are left in stitches, Mally. At It says Nan Bread. That's N-A-A-N. I'm not familiar with Nan Bread. I'm not a, Brit- I'm not a British person. That looks like Slimer from Ghostbusters. You know, the new Ghostbusters movie is coming out, I believe, middle or end of March. Okay. Have you seen the trailer for it yet? Uh, Yes, I did, but a while ago. Yeah, it looks pretty good. looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. It says you can't enjoy an Indian takeaway. Oh, it's Indian bread. That's what it is. Without a mighty Nan bread. But this one Brit may have wished that they left their beige flatbread in the packet after seeing the sight of it. If your bread is green, I think you should leave it in the packet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you might not be afraid of no ghost, you could be put off by this rather ghoulish-looking gnat. Yes, the bread we all know and love, or you may know and love. I've never had it before. Uh, I have. It's actually really good. Now that you said it was Indian, it's like a, it's very soft, but it's round like a pita, but it's thick. Oh, okay. And you kind of dip it in like the sauce of your Indian food, like the curry stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, So the bread we all know and love to accompany a Friday night korma or is this a Jalfrizi? Have you ever had it? Jalfrizi? I don't think so. Okay. If you're feeling adventurous, though this Brit wasn't too familiar with the garlic naan provided from their local Indian. Let's just say the flat bread was looking a little off color. Quite literally in this case, the Brit took to the casual UK subreddit to show off their odd looking nan or non. It's probably non. I'm probably saying I think it it's non. Okay. But I could be wrong. And hope to seek some answers. The non I received from the local Indian last night, the original poster shared along with a picture of the rather odd looking non bread. 
Instead of its usual beige greatness, the soft red had been dyed a light green. I'll show you here in a minute, Mally. Are they celebrating St. Patrick's Day early? I was going to say, I think they probably <laughs> did, yeah. Bewildered by the sight of the non, the Reddit user pleaded, what happened to my non? And it didn't take long for Brits to descend their hilarious takes in the comments. Some suspected this might be a case for the Ghostbusters or even something that might need a bit of a hand from Doctor Who and company. It looks like Slimer from Ghostbusters, one Brit giggled. Another chuckled, I'm pretty sure I've seen... John, is it Pertwee fight one of these things in Doctor Who? I'm sorry, I don't watch a lot of Doctor Who either. Um, while a third mocked, the St. Patrick's Day nons come out earlier every year. It's as bad as Easter eggs. <laughs> Aw. Someone else chimed in, non-bread, now in mint chocolate chip flavor. Oh, God, that's so yeah, wrong. That would be horrible. Uh, despite some providing answers beyond the verge of ridiculousness, others came with more sensible reasonings as to why the non looks like a distinctive relative of Shrek. One wrote, food coloring, which they use for uh, pilau rice from the looks of it. A second said, my guess is this wasn't garlic non that somehow came into contact with something acidic or something that started with the color orange. That would make hmm. more sense because orange would turn color. If it, if it met with something else. Garlic can turn green in a number of scenarios, and I'm guessing one of them happened here, said another user. The user voiced, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say you ordered a Peshwari naan. They ran out of them, served you a plain naan with coconut from the papadum tray smeared on top. If it's not, then I have no idea. It doesn't look appealing, he said. <laughs> Sorry for a try at a sensible answer. He also went on to say, so here's what this thing looks like, Millie. I can see why they said mint chocolate chip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I would have, if I was working at that shop that he bought it from, I would have explained why his Don or Nan or whatever you call it was green. Be like, okay, it looks gross, but it's actually really good. It's it's still good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It still is somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, edible. Tell you what, I will post a I will post the article here in the description of the program. You can get your non on and uh, figure out what exactly this thing is. It does look like Slimer, by the way. They have a picture of Slimer to to compare and contrast with. But you too can look at the green non. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound right, you know, but, but hey, why not? So Mal, what you got going on this weekend? Um, I think I'm going to be whipping up some cocktails. Mm. Get my drink on. It's been a while, so. Yes, yeah. ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Got an idea as to what you're going to whip up, or are you just going to free fall the deal? I think I'm going to free fall. I think I'm just going to kind of look and see what strikes me fancy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am off from KNSI this weekend, but um, I'm working. I'm working on trying to get a big time interview. Very cool. Big time interview. Mm -hmm. Could be one of the biggest interviews in the history of the show. Ah. Swinging for the fences, Mel. Gotta do it. If I fail, I'm not letting you guys know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Have like a plan B and a yes. plan C so yes. that no one knows That's that right. plan A didn't work. <laughs> That's right. But if I succeed, I'll be letting you guys know very shortly. Mm. That's right. So, uh, yeah, a swing for the fences. Let's just say this person... Has nothing to do with the paranormal field, but has had lots of paranormal experiences. Okay. And someone I've wanted to interview since I was a teenager. 
Very cool. Yeah. Oh, well, fingers so, and toes crossed. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, gonna uh, gonna give it a shot. That's all we can do, right, Mel? Mm-hmm. Just give it a shot, hope and pray. That's that's all you can do. Tomorrow on the big program, Mally, we're gonna do a little something different. You know, every once in a while, you stretch outside the boundaries and you pull something that has supernatural ties. I ran into a book that kind of tickled my fancy and I'm, I'm finishing it up right now. Eileen St. Loren is on the program tomorrow and she has a book out there that's very intriguing. The name of the book is My Neighbor's Good Life Mississippi Stories. Now, the premise is a little different. The premise has everything to do with a character that is telling stories about her neighbors in Mississippi, both alive and dead, and giving different moral stories about both. And some of these stories are are given from her neighbors, some dead, some alive. But all of these lonely souls reveal guiding truths and teach Myra, who's this neighbor, a deeper meaning for life. So we're going to get a little deep tomorrow, Mally. Okay. And we're going to learn a lesson or two about life. And we'll also deal into life and death tomorrow as well. So it's a little bit of a deep show tomorrow. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but one of those shows that we'll probably learn a thing or two. And it's a very interesting show with um, with Eileen St. Laurent tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. I like these shows every once in a while where we kind of stretch out a little bit and, and get different philosophies. Mm-hmm. These shows are always fun. I always like deeper interviews. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Tomorrow is one of those shows. If it's one of those shows where you go, eh, I don't know that I want to get into that. Eh, that's all right. We'll have something new for you next week. Um, but we have some very exciting shows coming up in, in, into the month of March. So I've already been working on, uh, on getting March filled up here. We have a documentary coming up in March that I think is going to blow you guys away too. Um, the guys from Small Town Monsters have a new documentary out there. That's coming out in the middle of March that I think is going to curl your guys' hair. So that's coming up in March as well. So lots of good stuff. On Very the cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's all coming up uh, in the month of March. So I'm excited about the month of March here on Darkness Radio. Lots of good true crime stuff coming up here too in, uh, in March. So looking forward to a lot of stuff here coming up in the future here for Darkness Radio. So that'll do it for today. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in today. Again, I want to remind you, um, this week we're focused on animal shelters. I want to remind you to go to potographsforpooches.com. Do what you can for the animals. Um, if you, Even if you can't get to the events, whether they be in Michigan or Minnesota, to help out the animals and the pooches and, uh, and to help out with that cause. Maybe you can pick up an, a little bit of swag from Potographs for Pooches, help out Tim Miley and Murray and the, the, the gang over there. Uh, pick up a little bit of swag, whether it be a mug or a T-shirt or a hat or whatever it is, and help out an animal shelter near you. Uh, you can do so by picking a little something up this weekend uh, from them. Just a little something to help out your buddies here at Darkness Radio. 
go to Potographs for Pooches. You get, if you don't know how to get there, just go to darknessradioshow.com, the events page. We have a link to get there. So um, please do that for us as a, a favor to your buddies here at Darkness Radio. We'd greatly appreciate it. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Tune in tomorrow for Eileen St. Loren and tales about Mississippi and life and death right here on the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio.